Hello there, everybody. Welcome back to The Mandalorian Season 3 Reviews here on Star Wars Lads. We're reviewing Season 3, Episode 7, Chapter 23, The Spies. I'm back after a, a two-week hiatus in Japan. Thanks for uh, holding down the fort here, Cynic. But we're going to we're gonna dive into all the spoiler details. Uh, I'm a little sick, if you can't tell. Hopefully, I'm projecting better than I think I am. So uh, <laughs> if you can't hear me that well, I'm sorry. Hopefully, we'll be better for predictions. But Let's dive into all the spoilers. Before we do so, make sure hitting that like button and subscribing to the channel. If you haven't, comment in below and let us know what you thought of this episode. There's a ton to talk about, so make sure you're engaging with us in the comments below. We always respond to your comments. Alrighty, so uh, let's dive into this episode. And I think the first thing we should talk about right off the bat was the kind of the big holy crap moment of the episode if for all of us fans of like longtime Star Wars fans, fans of Star Wars Legends. Those of us telling you that the, the Thrawn trilogy has been coming in The Mandalorian for years now, and then, you know, now seeing it confirmed in the Ahsoka trailer, and then <laughs> here, uh, it, it's back. We are getting more information, and we get a, a quick glimpse here of the Shadow Council as we get our first appearance of Moff Gideon of the season. And we get not only Moff Gideon, but we get one of my favorite characters. I feel like I'm an over like overly big fan of Captain Peleon, but I I really lost my mind when I saw him. I was so excited, and of course, one of the characters when I saw everybody standing there, I was like, they have to have Brendel Hux. Like they have to have Brendel Hux, and he was in it, and he's played by Domino Gleason's brother, Brian Gleason. So that was a really cool detail. Uh, Peleon played by Xander Berkeley. Can't wait to see what these characters do. I was hoping for maybe a Sloan appearance as well, but there were some things left out. Hopefully we'll see that in the future. But Senek, let's just start right off the bat. What did you think of that opening scene? I mean, I really did appreciate that this New Republic storyline stuff. I mean, every time we look at the previews before an episode comes, they're there to kind of really inform and kind of mold your expectations for what you're about to see. So when we had last week's, I was like, I don't, it's not really lining up with what I was expecting to happen. This time I'm like, okay, it really does feel like we're bringing in the New Republic stuff and everything to a head, Gideon, all that stuff was going to be really richly there. And it was, Elliot Kane. And then we got to have her meet with him on hologram with Gideon, inform him about the stuff that we'd been thinking about, like, are the pirates actually being funded by the Imperials? Yes, they are like kind of being controlled and used in like a proxy war of sorts and all this Mandalorian reconnection of the tribes and everything has now put Gideon on the edge or like now he has to do something here that that they're coming for him and then Shadow Council yeah like you said I I really wanted to see Sloan after Matt Trilogy has just turned out to be strangely like the most like important piece for a lot of this early New Republic storytelling the fact that all these interludes the world building is being pushed here into a live action and used so well it's it I'm, I'm really happy by that i know we've always talked about legends informing everything about this era but i'm glad that like something that is new that was supposed to like be the replacement at one point or marketed that way in some shape or form it is now actually being used so well so yeah i mean i wish we got to see a little bit more like a race loan i'm very curious what her plans are if she's kind of still doing her own thing in the unknown regions if she's not really dealing with this proto first order stuff maybe she's trying to go directly to the source and a lot of these guys are more coalescing around thrawn and thinking that he's the end goal 
I think that'd be pretty interesting if we save her for maybe the new Republic film that has been announced or something like that would be very solid for me. A little bit of a refresher for all of us. Like, oh, what are you doing with your experiments on Navarro? Like, we heard this and that. Like, the Mandalorian's this and that. Like, yeah, sure. But the way he spun it around, the way he, like, was quite literally spinning around, trying to, like, rally the truce. You, you, you forget, even though we haven't seen him that often in the show, Giancarlo is just, he is so, like, rich in expression and just hype as a character and the passion that he brings yeah, incredible stuff. I hope that it was just a tease of what's to come. I hope we get to see them again in the finale. That's that greater world building stuff that I really love about live action and Star Wars as a whole that we've been hyping up without really any evidence till now finally happening. And I just want to get even more and more of it. Completely agree. I mean, this is the type of stuff that gets Star Wars fans like us, our gears turning, our excitement going, you know, like this makes me want to return to the how to adapt series like you know that stuff that like hardcore type of research and predicting and planning like this these are the pieces of information that, that just feed a star wars fan for months and years and we only have to wait a couple months for ahsoka to come out and then just continue to feed this but i mean i'm so i'm very glad pelion's back uh, like i said at the beginning uh, overly big fan of Peleon. I just I love the way the characters was used throughout the entirety of Legends, and and the way he always served as a complimentary piece to Gron, and then uh, furthered into like basically the leader of the Imperial Remnant, and how he kind of was that like good guy at heart, but but staunch Imperial enough to where he never let the Empire actually die. He looked for ways for it to continue, and uh, you know as far as eventually trying to end the war with the new republic but never actually surrendering to them never saying like we're going to stop being the empire basically saying we're going to keep our controlled planets and you guys keep yours so i'm i'm very happy he's back and i really hope we get a lot of him in both the ahsoka show and then the future film i do like that in this conversation he is used as the conduit for thrawn everybody's like you keep talking about thrawn because he he is played perfectly he's like constantly like well thrawn will do this thrawn will do this when when thrawn gets back he's gonna make sure we do this we can't talk about this because thrawn's not here and everybody's like getting sick and tired of it because they haven't seen him thrawn yet they don't know uh, gideon even is challenging thrawn at the end of this episode we hear him say that he's gonna take over the galaxy this is a very imperial meeting <laughs> everybody's got their own agendas even though they're working together they've got their own agendas and they're all fighting for their own little pieces and we've seen this all the way from the beginning of the empire in the bad batch to now five years after the empire technically fell we're seeing the same type of imperials and the same reason they're all falling apart it pairs nicely with the mandalorians constant infighting and pickering being one of the reasons they fell so brindle hucks i'm so glad he's played by another gleason also a major part of the aftermath books like you said so just continuing to get every piece of canon here touched on i, I like that and i do also like that the empire their fall in, in operation cinder and then the battle of jack uh, part of that was was maybe gallius rax's fall but Really, there are these other warlords who are also playing at pretending like they're splinter groups, pretending like they're terrorist groups. And then, but really, they're an organized front. I do like seeing that the Empire isn't just scattered. It makes a bit more sense why Thrawn would come back into an Empire that's like this, rather than an Empire that was just 
like Moff Gideon and his 10 loyalists, you know, so, but let's talk about the rest of the episode because that was really only about the first seven, eight minutes. And the rest of the episode featured a, a wonderful plot line with the Mandalorians returning to Mandalore, going to reclaim the world for their own, led by Bo-Katan as we see when she gets the dark saber at the end of last episode. And this is the, you know, the, what we are expecting part of the episode. It's the, the Mandalorian groups learning to work together, learning each other's ways, learning each other's customs, and, and learning the best of both worlds. And Bo-Katan is trying to make that work. And, and I do like that we see the doubt in her, uh, but I like the continued relationship between her and Din. This had a lot of great moments, a lot of cool scenes. And then, of course, the big reveal that Moff Gideon's base the whole time has been on Mandalore. Well, I want to get the, the I guess, the sillier part of the episode out of the way. Uh, IG-11 was a plot point in the premiere episode of like, oh, we should get him alive again. And now it's like, oh, the Anzalans, they have managed to jerry-rig together an IG-12, I guess, as Grief Karga says. You know, now Grogu can use this to communicate and, you know, have like a moving system that could also protect him. It's a bit silly because he does play it for last, like squeezing the fruit and saying no repeatedly and it's like yes and no it's like oh okay now this is just father son just someone it's like when a kid learns like a bad word for the first time and you're like don't say that obviously the kid's gonna be like okay i'm gonna say it more and more and more it's like but the rest of the episode was just sensational like you said all the mandalorians are coming together facing each other helmetless versus with helmets and the armor kind of bringing them together like hey let's have a feast uh, the big thing for me was just the scale, the fleet flying around and some shots like of like the gauntlets just looked like the X-Wings and Rogue One um, just getting ready to uh, assault Scarif and all that. It, it looked very similar. Getting to Mandalore 2 was very fun. We got to see like more ensemble action too. Uh, you could see the Mandalorians land different ways. They're using different weapons. They might look similar to each other. But they were using some very expressive cinematography and letting these characters just, you know, be Mandalorians, just scout out the area, their home world and all that. It was very nice to see that. And it made all the ensemble scenes that we got further on in the episode work for me, even if sometimes they were a little bit more just stacked up in corners. Very cool to see like survivors on the planet that also adds like another dimension to this group. And then Imperial Super Commandos. Finding out it's an ambush, fighting and having some insane action there. I mean, the whole fight ambush underground and then to have Din be captured. A little bit of a twist on Grogu being captured at the end of season two. Cadian's armor is insane. Like he's apparently wearing dark trooper armor. Just the scale of his base and how it was hidden away. The explanation was good. Surface of Mandalore, the lighting was really solid. That, and then we finally ended with the Praetorian Guards, which was also mentioned at the Shadow Council scene that he wanted like a security detail of them. And um, I love that they had like the whole spinning flourish from The Last Jedi still. I guess that's just a part of their characterization that they have to do it. Letting down his life and then just being stabbed through. And like the way they were going through him was like very slow. Like it's not blood. But you can really see the weapons like go through him. And I was like, wow, okay. I don't know. I don't really have critiques for it. I thought every element of it was so good that I was engrossed. That I didn't really even want to talk about it. Like even there were like moments of like Grogu like pushing be act between Axe Woes and uh, Paz that I was like, 
that's just like in any other episode that would have been a highlight moment for me like of Grogu learning and being a little bit more independent and having his voice there but I was captured by just the pure fantasy and the pure quality of it completely agree with that too and it's it the ending of this so out of the three i think this was probably my favorite of like the penultimate episodes before the finale this is the season has in general followed a bit more of the season one skeleton than the season two and in that way it's the same type of finale where it feels like it's gonna be a or a penultimate episode where it feels like it's gonna be a two-part finale versus Season two goes for a hard-hitting character development type episode that doesn't really necessarily connect to the finale in terms of story beats. So I I enjoyed this episode quite a bit. I love being left on cliffhangers and waiting to see what happens. I mean, we have so many disparate elements in this end part of the episode with uh, Axwell's flying off. We also have, we don't know what's going to happen to the fleet. We don't really know what their firepower capabilities are against Gideon's bombers and interceptors. So Gideon in this episode is commanding as always. And Giancarlo Esposito is one of the greatest character actors in television history. He is such a fantastic villain every single time. Can't wait to see what he does next episode too. A bit more involvement. I can't wait for that face-to-face with him and din when din gets taken to the interrogation room that might be pedro pascal's one like you know headshot money moment of uh, of the season where we finally get to see his face uh, i like bo katan's leadership in this episode especially i love the reveal as well that she surrendered and then was betrayed by the empire it makes a bit more sense both for why they trust her a bit more because her people seem to already know this it's the children of the watch and the survivors on Mandalore that this surprises. So her people already know, and it's one of the reasons why they are so quick to abandon her and so quick to distrust her for not having the Darksaber. It makes a bit more sense why the Darksaber is so important to them in the, uh, in the way they see her. But at the same time, it also makes a little more sense why they are so willing to follow her again, because she never really lost. She was tricked. I was hoping she would use the Darksaber a bit more in the action, though. There were a couple times when they were fighting and everybody's shooting with blasters, which, again, some great moments. Din was just going off. Like, he was charging guys, pushing them, shooting them on the ground. He was leading the charge, and Bo-Katan has some cool moments. I do like the juxtaposition where, like, even though the Children of the Watch have jetpacks, they don't really use them in combat as much versus the... um, Bo-Katan's crew, they use them a lot to just kind of propel themselves forward, give themselves that extra boost. I, I did like the juxtaposition of combat styles between the two groups and seeing them both united looked very cool, but I was expecting Bo-Katan as the symbolic leader with the Darksaber, you know, to prove why she's the one that needs the Darksaber. We still have not even really seen her fight with the Darksaber in this show. So I was hoping this would be the episode where we see her like lead that charge go off with the Darksaber. I'm sure we'll get it next episode, but that was something I found a little strange, personally. Uh, But I love Gideon's armor. I do like the Mandalore twist. Uh, Mandalore, you know, the idea of it being poisonous or glass, we all knew it wasn't going to be in this season, but to make it a little less predictable why it's not, I, I do like that it's like the Empire has been occupying it, whether they cleanse the planet and fixed it maybe that's the case they also could be just kind of that they lied to the mandalorians and made it seem like it was destroyed and they were actually 
using it for its resources, which we obviously see they have a ton of Beskar and then both to create the Dark Troopers, but also to tempt Din into finding Grogu in the first place, and then now to create Moff Gideon's armor, and apparently they're still mining it. So it's very important to the Imperial War Machine. It obviously had that strategic advantage, and that was why they originally took it. So there's a lot of great detail in this episode that added so much to the overall narrative of the show, and, and I dug it a lot now. I cannot wait for next week, and I think it'll be a really awesome finale, but that's going to conclude our review here of Chapter 23. Make sure you're hitting that like button down below and subscribing to the channel for continued content. Also, comment below. Let us know what you thought of this episode and what you thought of some of our thoughts on this episode as well. Make sure you're voting in those polls. We are continuing our Star Wars video game bracket. and We just dropped our Star Wars video game tier list. Make sure you're checking that out as well. We'll have predictions and speculations for the finale out on Friday, so make sure you check that video out, as always, every single Friday with our predictions, and then we'll be back next week to talk about the finale on Wednesday morning. Thank you so much for watching, and we'll see you next time.